My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. This morning, I'm going to be focusing primarily on the text we heard read from the prophet Jeremiah this morning. My sermon is simply titled, You Have Deceived Me. Have you ever been deceived or tricked? It's not a pleasant experience. But uh, maybe to soften it up a little bit, I'll use a silly example. Because I'm sure if we start to dip into really personal examples, it'll get a little heavy real fast. Say you go and you drive up to a Burger King or a McDonald's, right? Take your pick. Take your pick. And you see a big, ju- uh, a juicy, delicious looking burger on the picture. And it always looks good. It's always huge, right? And it always looks thick and meaty and juicy, right? Like a Big Mac. You're like, wow, this looks great. And then you get it and the meat patty's like this big and it's dry. It doesn't look as plump as juicy. There's never as much cheese on it as you want. And it's always overly slathered in sauce. That's kind of deception. And that's kind of what advertising is in general now that I think about it. Advertising is kind of like a mild form of deception to trick us into thinking we need something to buy it. But then oftentimes, deception uh, or deceit happens in interpersonal relationships. And human relationships are fraught with broken promises and lies. It comes with being a member of sinful fallen humanity, right? Sin has broken our relationships with one another and with God himself. And deception in relationships often forms the core of people's deepest wounds. Relational uh, deceit can be something that people never let go of and hold on to for the entirety of their lives. And it eats them up inside. But what do we do when we perceive the source of that deception not to be one of our friends or family, not or one of our brothers or sisters, or one of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, right? What do we do when we perceive God to be the source of that deception and that deceit? And just as how that can affect our relationships with, human, with one another, if we perceive God to be the source of that deceit or that deception, that can lead to a very distorted view of God and a wounded relationship with God. I was reminded of this uh, the other day about just how even the role of, of clergy are in uh, the role that clergy have sometimes in perpetuating very, very troubling uh, views of God and deceitful views of God and how people hold on to those things for 50, 60, 70 years. In the reading from Jeremiah, it actually opens with, you have deceived me. And that jumped out at me this week as I was reading and preparing for this. We see the prophet Jeremiah wrestling with these feelings and how he ultimately moves from expressing his frustration from, 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 from you have deceived me to trust and hope in the Lord. But to understand what we heard read this morning, we need to know some of the context for what Jeremiah is talking about. So in the previous chapter, chapter 19, 
God tells Jeremiah, go and buy a flask from a potter. Then, I want you to call a bunch of the elders of the people of Israel, like the leaders of the, church, of the, of the people of Israel, and then I want you to call some of the priests. And then, I want you to take these elders and these priests, I want you to take them to the valley of the son of Hinnom and prophesy to them. And I want you to tell them, God, I am bringing disaster because you have profaned yourselves. You have offered to and worshipped foreign gods. You have shed innocent blood. And you have burned your sons and daughters in fire as offering to Baal. Something the scripture says, God even says, doing something I did not desire or command you to do. And it's interesting in that story because the valley of the son of Hinnom, that is the location where a lot of the things that I just listed happened. The valley of the sons of Hinnom, or the valley of Hinnom. This is where we get the word Gehenna from. Gehinnom, the valley of Hinnom. Which we heard read in the gospel when Jesus uh, says hell, the word there is Gehinnom. He's using it as an image. Because the valley of the sons of Hinnom, or the valley of Hinnom, this is the place where wickedness was, right outside the city. This is the place of wickedness. And Jeremiah is sent to that spot with the people to prophesy to them the coming disaster. That the people of Judah and Jerusalem will be conquered. That they will be made a horror of. And the Babylonians are coming. And then Jeremiah, he takes the flask and he breaks it. Because it will be impossible to mend. Just as the destruction coming upon them will be unmendable. And then in the first half of chapter 20, there's a priest named Pashur. As a response to what Jeremiah has said and done, he beats him and he places him in stocks. And a few days later, Pashur releases Jeremiah and then Jeremiah says, hey, everything that I just said earlier is going to come to pass. And you know what's going to happen? You and your family, you, none of you are actually going to die. You're all going to be carried away to Babylon into captivity. You're going to see all of this happen. You're going to experience it. And you will be carried away yourself. And when your death finally does come, it's going to be in Babylon itself, in exile. It is after this that then Jeremiah speaks what we heard, what we heard read this morning, that you have deceived me. Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. Right? There's almost this sense of God almost forcing him to do this. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me, for whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout. Violence and destruction, for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all the day long. Right? So he's saying, God, you told me to say this. You told me to do this. And what's happened to him as a response? He's been beaten. He's been jailed, placed in stocks. Later on in the book, he's going to be thrown into a well and left there for a while. And no one remains with him except his faithful servant. In the first chapter of Jeremiah, God calls him to be a prophet. And he says, you know, we, we love this verse, right? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb... I knew you. You will be my prophet. Don't be afraid of those I'm going to send you to. I will deliver you. 
Now imagine this experience, right? Imagine having that encounter with God and saying, God saying, I have chosen you, I have called you, I have a message from me through you to deliver to my wayward people. Imagine having that experience. And then God saying, listen, don't be afraid. I will deliver you. Now imagine this experience. And then imagine doing what God told him to do. And then being taken and jailed and beaten. Only to be released a few days later. Imagine that. It makes this expression of anger understandable. And sometimes we think that anger with God is something we can never express, right? I think part of the lesson in this text is God can handle our anger, right? Because when God, Job, uh, Job <laughs> when Jeremiah says, you know, God, you have deceived me, God doesn't like send a meteorite and splat and like smush him, right? No, he doesn't. God can handle our anger. God can handle our expression of anger. God can handle our expression of anger of things that have happened to us. He can handle our expression of anger of things that have happened to us when we thought he would deliver us from it. But here's the thing when we read the text. Did God actually deceive him? Well, no. God doesn't actually deceive him. And the question then is, did God deliver him? Well, the answer to that question is yes. God did deliver him. He was released. And then the next verse, it says, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in. I cannot. See, Jeremiah has experienced real persecution because of his mission to Wayward Judah. His message has been, you have continued in wickedness and have not repented and served the Lord. And as a result, your enemies are coming to conquer you. Imagine that message and how it would have been received. Few heeded him, most did not. In fact, when Jeremiah would be called to prophesy, there would be false prophets who would say the exact opposite. And Jeremiah is the only one speaking the truth. And all of the other prophets are like, no, God says he's totally going to deliver us. We're totally fine. We're great. It's okay. We can keep sacrificing our children in the Valley of Hinnom. God's okay with that. It's just a pluralistic expression of worship. We, we can't judge it. We can't understand it. We can totally do it. It's fine. Jeremiah is the only one saying, we have sinned against the Lord. We need to repent. But no one listens. Even though he's experienced all of this persecution, and there will be more to come for him, he continues on. Because he cannot help but to speak in his name. Because God's word is in him like a fire shut up in his bones. And this even carries on in his life, in his, in his, in his mission, right? In the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is, is Jeremiah sitting in the rubble of the ruins of Jerusalem as the Babylonians are destroying everything and carting people away into slavery. He is sitting in the ruins and right in the middle of the book... What does he say? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. 
great is your faithfulness. And he says that in the midst of exile. He says that in the midst of the ruins. That God is faithful. And his mercies never cease. And then he says, But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed. They will not succeed. O Lord of hosts, who tests, tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. Right, so here we see that move from that despair in the previous few verses to hope in God. Because God has promised to deliver him from his enemies. And God does. Here's the thing, it doesn't mean that he will be free from the pain that comes with that. It doesn't mean that he'll be free from the affliction that comes with that. But what it means is that even in the midst of his deepest pain, in his deepest disillusionment, in his deepest moments of darkness, that God will be there with him. In the midst of it, God is with him and will bring him through. And God being with him and delivering him and bringing him through isn't necessarily going to look like what he thinks it will. And it's the same for us, right? And the empowering word that Jeremiah is to speak, that will preserve him, right? And then he sees this powerful reversal. Or he will see a powerful reversal, right? That those who persecuted me, he says, will stumble. My enemies will be brought to shame. And Jeremiah sees this happen. See, he, he sees this happen, right? Everything that he prophesied, everything that God told him to say, it all came true. It all happened. And all the resistance he experienced was gone. Because they all saw his words. They will see his words, the very words given to him by God. He has seen them come, to, they will see him come to pass, and they do. And he rejoices, he moves from this. You have deceived me at the beginning. So what does he end with? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He has committed himself to the Lord. And he has committed his cause to the Lord. And he will experience the Lord's deliverance. And brothers and sisters, for us, God has called us. He has saved us from the world for the sake of the world. God has called us out of darkness. He has put his word in our mouth. He has given something for us to proclaim to the people. And guess what? You know what people hate hearing? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. People don't like to hear that. I don't like to hear it. I'm sure you don't like to hear it. But Christians, we are, we are the only people that can bring that message. Because with that repentance comes God's deliverance. Right? Just as Jeremiah is taken out, into, he takes the elders and the leaders out to the valley of the sons of Hinnom, the, the valley of Gehenna, where, where babies and children were sacrificed in fire to false gods. Right? And Jeremiah says, this is going to happen to you now. Right? Just as he, he's done that. That's like, 
That's like if we were to go from here and I were to call uh, the, the civic leaders of, of you know, the different towns in the area and then we all went to Planned Parenthood. That's what that would be like. Repent. Christians are the only, one that can, only people that can call people to repentance. But here's the thing. It is something that we are called to do ourselves. Martin Luther said that the Christian life is one of ongoing repentance. Or the call to forsake wickedness applies to us too. And here's the thing. There will be times in our lives when, like Jeremiah, we will say, God, you have deceived me. You have lied to me. I've been sold a bill of goods. I was told that the church was a great place. And then I sat in somebody's seat and, <laughs> and they were mean to me. Right? I've sat in this seat for 35 years and a visitor came and sat in my seat and I told him to get out of here. Somebody hurt my feelings at church. Pastor Mike preached the message and he said something that I hated. I didn't agree with any of it. I thought it was, I didn't hate, I, I don't want to hear him ever again. I thought church was supposed to be different. I thought we were supposed to be affirmed all the time and everything. You have deceived me, God. God does not deceive. God cannot deceive. God is light. God is love. God is life. We can deceive. And we often do. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, right? God has put his word in our mouth. And we can look back and we can see the very real hand of God in our lives with us at moments in our lives. So I, I'll give you an example, right, of one of my own family. I only found this out like two, three, maybe three years ago. And this is all public now. It's my dad, right, he was in the military. And um, he was honorably discharged uh, due to a medical condition. But... While he was going through that process, he was planning with a friend in the uh, import business <laughs> to import uh, narcotics, shall we say, from Southeast Asia. I have no idea how this happened. He lived in California, right? I don't know. Maybe he had connections, right? And I thought about that when he told me, right? He said, I, I, I co-host a podcast, and he told me this story on the podcast, and I had never heard this in my, I'm like, I don't even know you, Dad. <laughs> Life would have been very different had he gone in that direction. But while he's planning with a friend to import narcotics in from Southeast Asia, he's leaving Walter Reed Medical Hospital, and he thinks he hears somebody calling his name. He turns around, there's somebody there, and he's like, hey, you called me? And the guy's like, no, it's not me. And my dad's like, oh, okay. And the guy's like, well, how about you come with me to a Bible study tonight? And Dan's like, I got nothing else to do. Why not? I might as well. He goes to the Bible study and he has an encounter with God and becomes a Christian. He converts, right? He repents. He lays that other stuff aside. And all of that other stuff, he threw away, right? Didn't go through with his plans. And he turns, goes in the completely opposite direction and himself becomes a minister of the gospel, Right? That's the power of the word that we have been given. It is the only thing that can transform the human heart and the human soul. 
who Christ is, what Christ has done. And our Christian life is our continual repentance and our continual conversion. Conversion isn't just a one time I said a prayer, I had the water poured over me, and I'm good, my ticket is punched, I'm going to heaven when I die, I don't, this, that's great, I'm done. And then we go and we live our lives any ways we choose. No, the Christian life is one of continual conversion where every day we say, help me Lord, through your grace. Walk with me, be with me, deliver me, help me. And he does, and he will. Because ultimately, brothers and sisters, Christ is with us. He will be with us even in the midst of our deepest pain. And he puts in our mouths the word. But not just in what we proclaim, but in what we receive in the sacrament of Holy Communion, when we come before the Lord's table and altar, and we feed on Him. And as we do, he, His grace increases in us. Our sins are forgiven. And we come to understand that we are truly united with Him, and He is truly united with us. And we are truly united to one another. It is God's pledge to us that we are united with Him. So, as Jesus said, let us not fear those who can kill the body, right? We don't have to be afraid of people or persecution that may come our way. We don't have to be afraid because even if we die, we still win. That's the weird thing about Christianity, right? Even when we die, we win because that's how Christ was victorious over sin and death was through his own death and resurrection. And we are participants in that. So when we die, ultimately, we win. And, and if you think about it, that's the ultimate act of deliverance, that not even death itself can have the final say over us. Even if the problems in our lives are the deepest and darkest and most despairing places and times of our lives, like lead us into death itself, is that we will not be left there, that death has no power over us because Christ is risen. And he has saved us. And he has redeemed us. And so to our Lord Jesus Christ, we all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you are ever in the area, please join us for worship. We'd love to meet you. If you have any questions about what you heard or if you would like prayer, please reach out to us on our Facebook page or our website, zionstoneucc.com. We also are raising funds for some repairs to our stained glass windows. So if you get a benefit from listening to this podcast, please head over to GoFundMe.com slash Zion Stone Church Repair Fund. God bless you and thanks for listening.